0: One deadly sin that didn't make the traditional list of seven but is just as deadly is the traitor known as deception. That's what we want to talk about today. But before we get to today's episode, I want to thank you for listening to Bible Threads. Both I and the Time of Grace team appreciate it. And I also want to remind you of all the other great Bible teaching content that we have at timeofgrace.org. There are video messages, video devotions, print devotions, books, blogs, and seven other podcasts. Check them out at timeofgrace.org. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Perhaps we should start by defining what deception is. Deception is a big umbrella kind of word. It's like a cut gemstone that has multiple facets to it. But unlike a gemstone, deception isn't beautiful. It's just plain ugly. One facet of deception is lying. Another is bearing false testimony, a specific form of lying. Another is smooth talk. You know, the kind that you get from a dishonest salesperson. Or how about flattery? Then, of course, there is the insidious half-truth, which is probably better named half-lie. All of these facets of deception afflict us, trouble us, and can cause us great harm. King David addressed some different facets of deception when he penned Psalm 12. This is what he said. Help, Lord! For no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, By our tongues we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? How many facets of deception did you catch in those four verses? Well, there's lying, flattering, harboring deception, boasting, and even idolatry, which is the meaning behind that final phrase, our own lips will defend us, who is Lord over us. Practicing deception has been around since the creation of the world, but more on that in a moment. King David addressed deception in another psalm, Psalm 101. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Before we get to what David says in this psalm, let's take a little detour and talk a bit about the book of Psalms in general. I think there are a few things you'll find interesting. The Book of Psalms is a collection of 150 songs or hymns, and that you probably knew. But did you know that the original Hebrew name for this songbook wasn't Psalms? It was Songs of Praise, from the Hebrew word Tehillim. Well, where did the title of Psalms come from then? Well, around 250 BC, The five books of Moses, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were translated from Hebrew into the Greek language. The translators started translating the Torah, and in the second century BC, the rest of the Old Testament was translated into Greek. The name of this translation is the Septuagint. You likely have heard of it. But did you know that the word Septuagint is from the Latin word Septuaginta, which in Latin is the number 70. The name Septuagint was derived from the legend that there were 72 translators, six from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, who worked independently to translate the Hebrew Old Testament, ultimately producing identical versions. At least that's the legend. But when the translators came to translate the songbook Tehillim, which again means songs of praise, they didn't translate Tehillim into Greek. Instead, they used one type of song found in the Hebrew songbook as the title of the entire book. The type of song they chose was called Mismor, and referred to either a song or, more precisely, a song accompanied with a stringed instrument, such as a harp or a lyre. When you translate mizmor into Greek, you end up with psalmos, from which we get the English word psalms. Of the 150 songs in the Hebrew songbook, 57 are classified as psalms. So it seems that, with more than a third of the songs classified as mizmor, The translators named the entire book in Greek as psalmos, psalms, even though that wasn't the original Hebrew title of the book of the Bible. Okay, the detour is over. We're back to Psalm 101 and talking about deception. In Psalm 101, David describes the kind of king he aspired to be. In the first couple of verses, David aspired to serve the Lord God by singing the praises of his God, and leading a blameless life. Unfortunately, David fell short of being the ideal king. In the second part of this psalm, David indicates that as king, he would not tolerate wicked and evil men in his kingdom. He specifically addressed what would happen to people in his kingdom who practiced deception and who were liars. King David wrote, No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. But again, David, as well as his successors to the throne, committed the deadly sin that he warned about in this psalm. David himself practiced deception when he had his affair with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered. Although this psalm is not mentioned in the New Testament as a messianic psalm, in other words, a a psalm pointing to Jesus the Christ, the ideal king described in this psalm is exactly the kind of king Jesus was. He was obedient to his father. He didn't practice any deception. In fact, he was without any sin. He opposed evil and embraced everything good. Jesus was and is the ideal king. He is the king of kings. King David's son Solomon describes seven things that the Lord God finds detestable. This is found in Proverbs chapter 6. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, A false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community of the seven things that the lord god finds detestable three of them relate to deception a lying tongue a heart that devises wicked schemes and a false witness who pours out lies through the pen of solomon god used strong language to talk about the deadly sin of deception. In the New Testament we also hear about deception from the Apostle Paul. Near the end of his letter written to the Christians living in Rome, he wrote, I urge you brothers and sisters to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ. But their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the minds of naive people what paul described are classic features of deception smooth talk and flattery with the desired outcome of deceiving the minds of naive people and just who were these people They were people who had a relationship with the church, but in reality did not serve Jesus. Instead, they were only interested in serving what Paul referred to as their own appetites. The Greek word Paul used literally means one's stomach or belly. But figuratively, as it's used here, means they were serving their own wants and desires. Now, we can't talk about the deadly sin of deception without examining the master of deception, the ultimate deceiver, the father of lies. You know who I'm talking about. Satan, a.k.a. the devil, a.k.a. the evil one. Satan has many tools in his toolbox to lie and deceive, and he's been using them since the creation of the world. Sometimes Satan tries to deceive us by hiding the truth from us. Other times, he just flat-out lies. In the Garden of Eden, Satan suggested to Eve that she eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only tree that God said not to eat from. Satan deceived Eve with two back-to-back lies. The first lie was totally untrue. The second one was a half-lie. Satan promised Eve, you will not certainly die, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The truth was that if they ate the forbidden fruit, they would indeed die, and that although they would know good and evil, they would not be like God. Satan lied through his fangs. There is probably no clearer evidence in the Bible of Satan equals liar than what Jesus once said. During his ministry, Jesus was frequently confronted by the Jewish religious leaders. They did not accept Jesus as being sent from God, and they vehemently opposed him. On one occasion, in a dialogue about who the true children of God are, Jesus told the religious leaders that if God was their father, they would love and follow Jesus, him, as God's son. They just flat-out rejected Jesus' assertion. And as a result, Jesus denounced the religious leaders as being followers of Satan rather than followers of God. Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, For he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus had harsh condemnation both for Satan and for the religious leaders. Jesus condemned Satan for being a liar. Jesus condemned the religious leaders for swallowing Satan's lies, hook, line, and sinker, and for participating in Satan's desire to oppose and resist Jesus and God's timeless truth about him. Jesus also had firsthand experience with Satan's lies. It happened at the beginning of his ministry, right after he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. From the Jordan, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. It's interesting that Matthew uses the word devil instead of Satan. The word devil has more of an emphasis on slandering and lying than does the title Satan, which means accuser. Deception and lying were exactly the plan of attack Satan used to tempt Jesus. For 40 days and nights, Jesus fasted in the wilderness. How God sustained him during these weeks of fasting, we're not sure. At least we're not told. It's not surprising, then, that the very first temptation by Satan had to do with food. If you are the Son of God, he said, tell these stones to become bread. Is this deja vu or what? In the Garden of Eden, in tempting Eve and Adam, Satan began by sowing seeds of doubt. Here again he did it with Jesus. He also used food with Eve. He now used the lack of food to tempt Jesus. Jesus. Jesus responded to the temptation by quoting the Word of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The te- this temptation of Satan was aimed at producing distrust of his heavenly Father in the heart of Jesus. For the second temptation, Satan took Jesus to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. Even though a moment earlier they were in the wilderness. There, Satan told Jesus to jump off the temple because he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Satan was quoting Psalm 91 to suggest that Jesus take God at his word. Satan tempted Jesus to have a false trust in God's promises. Jesus responded to this temptation by again quoting scripture. It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. For the third temptation, Satan took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Satan offered all of these kingdoms to Jesus if he would bow down and worship Satan, and in the process, abandon God's personally costly plan to save the world. Satan lied. Satan couldn't honor his promise and never would. Jesus replied, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. With each temptation, Satan tried to drive a wedge between Jesus and his heavenly Father. With each lie and deception, Jesus responded by using the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Satan was unsuccessful in his attempts to deceive Jesus. So now Satan focuses his efforts on tempting the followers of Jesus. Be assured, Satan will lie to you. He will try to deceive you. He's lurking at the door of your heart. So don't let him in. Here's an example of Satan attempting to deceive followers of Jesus. It's from the book of Acts. There we read a story about a husband and wife couple who let Satan worm his way into their hearts. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter four, we learn about a grace-filled practice within the early church. God's people lived their faith by willingly and gladly sharing their possessions with others. All the believers were one in heart and mind No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. People would sell parcels of land or houses and would give the proceeds to the apostles for others to benefit from. The result of this was that there weren't any needy persons within the community of Christian believers. One person who gave such a gift was a man named Joseph. He was from Cyprus, an island in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. Joseph is probably better known by his nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas sold a field that he owned and gave it to the apostles. Then we learn that Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, there was nothing wrong with the couple giving only a portion of the proceeds. The problem was that they lied about it. And Peter knew it. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Ananias and Sapphira had allowed Satan into their hearts, and once there, he led them to lie and deceive Not just to their community, but to God Himself. That day, because of their deception, God ended both Ananias' and Sapphira's lives here on this earth. The Apostle John, in one of his shorter letters, warns us The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But then John immediately follows this warning with this assurance. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Did you catch the significance of John's words? The reason the Son of God appeared here on this earth was to destroy the devil's work. And he did. There's another characteristic of Satan that we need to know about. That characteristic has something in common with Halloween. At Halloween, kids, as well as adults, masquerade as their favorite superheroes, movie characters, animals, or make-believe monsters. The masqueraders then go door-to-door in their neighborhoods in search of treats. The wearing of costumes is intended to be fun for those standing on both sides of the front door. Also, every year in countries around the world, carnival celebrations are held between the Christian festivals of Epiphany, January 6th, and Ash Wednesday. In the United States, the celebration is most often known as Mardi Gras. These celebrations around the world almost always involve the use of elaborate costumes and masks worn by the participants. The masquerade costume hides who a person really is and allows the person to be someone he or she is not. Satan is a master masquerader. He wakes up every morning and gets dressed in a different costume. Satan's accomplices in the world do the same. The Apostle Paul wrote to the believers living in Corinth, warning them about people who were pretending to be teachers and apostles of Christ. He says, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, Paul continued, if his servants masquerade as servants of unrighteousness. Satan was originally created to be an angel of light, a morning star, as we read in Isaiah chapter 14. So he knows what the characteristics of an angel of light are and can masquerade as one. So how do we know if it is a real Follower or a real angel of light, or Satan pretending to be one. And Satan's accomplices masquerade as God's prophets, teachers, and Christ's followers. How do we know if we are listening to a true prophet or teacher or a fake one? Jesus shows us how to determine it. He said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. We need to be on high alert because Satan offers appealing counterfeits of God's truth. Counterfeits that may deceive us. They can come in the form of false religions with their counterfeit teachings. For example, the Quran, the central religious text of Islam, or the Book of Mormon and Doctrines and Covenants, two texts of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Satan's counterfeits can also come in the form of different philosophies and opinions. Satan has a stash of philosophical isms at his disposal that he uses as masquerades for truth. There's evolutionism, intellectualism, determinism, dualism, fatalism, naturalism, hedonism, etc., One source I ran across lists 234 different philosophical isms, all counterfeit teachings to the Bible. Although we might not believe any of these isms in full, Satan is just interested in getting us to believe one or more of them, at least in part. We also need to be on full-time lookout because Satan isn't going to look anything like we think he looks. No red suit, no horns, no pitchfork in hand. If anything, he will look like an angel or another human being. False prophets don't look like false prophets either. Fake followers of Christ don't look like fake followers. They all look like the real deal. That's because they are masqueraders. We just need to be aware of that. Here's our first big takeaway for this episode. When it comes to deception, no one does it better than Satan and those who love Satan more than Jesus. And here's our second big takeaway. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And fortunately for us, he did. Traitors, more than just the seven deadly sins, They're the attitudes that can betray our relationship with our God, with others, and even with ourselves. In our next episode, we'll explore the traitor known as Worry. If you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and God bless.